You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Well, good evening, Valleydale. Great to see you tonight. Thank you for joining us for our midweek worship. You would probably never suspect that this particular person struggled with discouragement and depression. When he was a child, the opposite was true. He was hyperactive. When he was seven years old, his mother had to search for things for him to do. And finally, she introduced him to swimming. He began swimming, and he turned out to be a very, very good swimmer. And time went on, and he began dreaming, what would it be like to change the sport of swimming? He kept growing. He kept competing. He was being trained. He was doing really well. Finally, at age 15, he entered the 2000 Olympic Games, and he finished fifth in the world in the final event at age 15. Four years later, in the 2004 Olympic Games, he won eight Olympic medals. Four years later, he won eight gold medals. It was unbelievable. And by now, you probably realize I'm talking about Michael Phelps. And before the 2012 Olympic Games in London, Michael just said he was going to retire from swimming after the Olympics. He won more gold medals. He uh, came away from there with 23 Olympic medals, making him the most decorated Olympian of all time. And yet, after previous Olympics, he struggled with depression. He would turn to drugs. He turned to alcohol. But this time in London, it was different. He sat in a room for four days. He didn't, he didn't eat. He didn't sleep. He didn't want to swim anymore. He didn't want to live anymore. And there he was contemplating suicide. Now, some of you may hear that and think, how could the most decorated Olympian of all time struggle with discouragement and depression? But others of you, you know that struggle all too well. You've had that struggle yourself. And you know what that inner turmoil is like. And tonight we want to talk about how do we deal with discouragement? How, how do we handle it? How do we navigate through it? All of us are prone to it. None of us are above it or immune from it. But how do we move through it as the people of God? How do we deal with it? And there's all kind of different sources for discouragement. Sometimes it can come from being physically or emotionally fatigued. Sometimes it, there's something going on at work. There's something going on in the home with a child or with a spouse or with a parent. And we just get discouraged. And we need to know how to deal with it. Tonight, we're going to continue our series on Elijah. Last time we saw Elijah, he was at the top of Mount Carmel. And he was calling down fire from heaven. He prayed, God answered by fire. It was an amazing moment. Tonight, we see him in the valley emotionally. And he asked God to take his life. And you wonder, how did he go from this mountaintop experience to this valley of despair? What, what happened? What was it that led him there? And so we'll look at that. How did Elijah handle discouragement? And we'll also look at how God handled Elijah in the midst of that discouragement. Here's what you need to know up front. Your discouragement is real, but you are not unique. You're, you're not alone in your discouragement. Elijah faced discouragement. All kind of believers all over the world face discouragement. And here's something else you need to know. Your discouragement is real, but so is God. He is right there with you in the midst of it. And so tonight, I want you to turn to 1 Kings 18. We're going to look at the end of that chapter and then on into chapter 19. 
I want to share eight principles on how to deal with discouragement. So let's begin. First Kings 18. Now you would think the climax of this chapter would be Elijah praying and fire falling from heaven. But in fact, that's not the climax of this chapter. The, the climax comes at the end. Because at the beginning, God promised rain. He said, I will send rain. And at the end of the chapter, or almost there, that's where the rain, that's when the rain comes. And so Elijah is talking to Ahab. He says, go up, eat, and drink. Now, you remember what happened last time. The prophets of Baal were, were killed. Israel repented, or at least it appears they did. They said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. It was a moment of renewal. And now Elijah follows. Elijah is still in complete control here. And he tells Ahab, go up, eat, and drink. And, and we think this is probably part of the covenant renewal process. It was a meal associated with the sacrifice. And so Ahab goes up to do that. And for Elijah said, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. And this term for sound can mean voice in other parts in Scripture. And what's interesting here, Elijah is not talking about hearing the sound of rain. He's talking about hearing the voice of God. Because you remember earlier in the chapter, he said, God says, I will send rain. And so he's hearing in faith here. And he's saying, I heard God said he would send rain. It's coming. He's believing and acting in great faith here, believing God's going to provide rain. And so he tells him, he acts on that faith and tells Ahab to go up. So Ahab does that. And meanwhile, Elijah goes up higher than Ahab to the top of Mount Carmel. And he gets down and he bows himself down on the earth with his face between his knees. And he begins praying. This is a position of desperate, urgent prayer. He's, he's crying out to God. This is the, the part, the second part in James where it says, um, in uh, 517 that Elijah prayed it would not rain for three and a half years. Then the very next verse, it says, and Elijah prayed and rain came, uh, or heaven sent rain. This is that, that verse, James 518. This is it right here. Elijah is down on his face and he's praying. And he tells his servant, go up now, look toward the sea, because rain typically came from the east. So go east, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again. Seven times. And meanwhile, Elijah's praying. Can you imagine how many times you and I give up after about the second or third time? We just say, well, forget it. It's, it's just, it's not going to rain. But Elijah keeps praying. Elijah is acting in faith. He's not going to miss the blessing. God has said it's going to rain, so that, that's what's going to happen. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, the servant talking, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. Now, one source said that perhaps this was symbolic of the hand of God coming back upon Israel. Israel had repented. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And the hand of God now perhaps was coming back upon the people of Israel. And so Elijah tells him, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. So the, the sky goes black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. That's the climax of the chapter right there. God said it would rain, and here it happens. It is fulfilled. And so here comes the rain. So Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. That's where his winter palace was, about 12 to 17 miles away, depending on where they were on Mount Carmel. 
It says, in the hand of the Lord, the power of God was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now, what's the significance of Elijah going before Ahab? Well, it was an an act of submission. It was an act of him saying, Ahab, I submit to your authority. I'm going before you like a herald does, and I'm I'm proclaiming that the king is coming. In other words, Ahab, you and I can work together. You, You and I can work together in the future, and there can be national repentance and revival. So this was a moment of great hope for Elijah, I believe. Things were changing. Israel had had been on their face before God. They had acknowledged him. The prophets of Baal had had been killed. And and, and now he's he's working in conjunction with Ahab. So there was was a reason for hope. And I want to share eight principles with you tonight on how to deal with discouragement just based on the word of God. Here's the first one. Great faith, desperate prayer, and hope for the future do not make us immune from discouragement. Great faith. Man, Elijah had great faith. Desperate prayer. That's what we see here. I didn't hope for the future. That's what he's got. It did not make him immune from discouragement, as we will see here soon. Perhaps you have great faith. You have a genuine walk with Christ. You spend time with him. That doesn't make you immune from discouragement. All of us can slip into the fog of discouragement, and, and we're, we're not above it. And so we will need to figure out how do we deal with it. At any moment, we could do that. Tommy Nelson is a longtime pastor at Denton Bible Church in Denton, Texas. Our, our pastor knows him well and has for years. He has talked openly about his struggle with anxiety and depression. And Tommy has been at that church since the 1970s, and he's an excellent Bible teacher. He's known for discipling. He's discipling hundreds, maybe even thousands of, of men, young men. Uh, and I went to school with a number of them. He's, he's uh, well known for his Song of Solomon teaching, and God used that in my life in college, when, uh, it, it, just on Christian dating and marriage and how to handle conflict, all those kinds of things. But there was a time in, in, in Tommy's ministry where he had been pushing really hard. And he said all of a sudden he was sitting on a Sunday night about 645 and he felt his, his blood pressure just spike. His legs began to tingle. He wasn't sure what was going on. He checked into the hospital and, and they eventually uh, discharged him. He kept up the same pace that he had going. He was speaking about 13 times a week. Up early in the mornings and on the weekends he's flying out to do these Song of Solomon conferences, preaching multiple services on Sunday. This just kept going week after week after week. And finally, his body just said, I can't do this anymore. And he said he hit a moment where it went from physical struggle to emotional. And he said emotionally, the bottom just dropped out, and it was like there was nothing. You could come up and tell him someone had died, and there was just nothing there. There was no emotion. He couldn't sleep. For months, the only way he could sleep was to, to take medication. There, he I couldn't read. He couldn't watch TV. It, it, nothing. No, no, and he couldn't figure out what was going on. He kept going to the, he'd go to the hospital twice. Nothing. They couldn't figure it out. Finally went to a Hindu psychiatrist and discovered that he had an issue with uh, serotonin. He was, he was depleted. It was an issue with adrenaline. He said, your body is stuck in fourth gear. You've been, you've been going so fast for all these years, your body doesn't know how to slow down. And so here's a man of God who loves Jesus, 
is making disciples, spending time with the Lord, reading the word of God, doing all the things that he's supposed to do, that we're supposed to do as Christians. And yet he wasn't immune from discouragement, even depression and anxiety. And, and, and you and I aren't either. Neither was Elijah. And so I want to encourage you tonight that some of you may be in that place of discouragement. You think, what am I doing wrong? And, and you, you're looking for some type of sin in your life. And it may not be that at all. It may be, a, it may be something with your schedule. It may be something else is going on internally. But, but uh, you're not immune from it. And, and neither am I. And neither was Elijah. Well, things didn't turn out like Elijah hoped they would. Uh, look at chapter 19. It says, Ahab... Ahab now is back in, Jeze, uh, back in Jezreel, and he, he goes to his wife, and, hey, Jezebel, let me tell you what happened at Mount Carmel. And he, he goes on to explain, yeah, you know, Elijah, man, fire came down from heaven. Elijah uh, killed a lot of the prophets. Uh, was, she didn't like that. And it said, um, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Elijah had met his match. Up to this point, he has not faced overwhelming opposition. But here, Jezebel was as zealous for for Baal as Elijah was for Yahweh. He has met his match. And here she is filled with uh, anger and frustration, and she's going to take it out on him. And so uh, how is he going to respond? Now, I could imagine as Elijah saw those messengers coming toward him, I mean, can you just imagine what he must have been thinking? I, I just, I, I wonder if he was thinking, man, this is the moment. I've been waiting. I've been, I've been praying for revival, and I was with Ahab, and now, now's the moment. He's going to come back and tell me that, you know, Ahab has torn down the, the, the Baal um, idols, and now we're, man, we're going after God with all of our heart. That's not what happened. He says, uh, Jezebel is looking for your life in the next day. And so, um, so it didn't turn out like he thought. He's, he had no reason to doubt Jezebel because she has killed prophets before back in chapter 18. And so Elijah, it says, was afraid. Now, you may, your translation may say he saw. And that's New King James Version says that. And uh, those two verbs, saw and afraid, are really close to each other. And the only way to really tell them apart is by looking at the context. And so the best I can tell, the, the proper word, appropriate word, is afraid. Because you, you have to look at Elijah's reaction and what's going on in the rest of the chapter. And so uh, Elijah was afraid. And it says, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba. Here's our second point tonight, how to deal with discouragement. Discouragement can take root through unmet expectations. Discouragement can take root in our life through unmet expectations. One of the sources for discouragement is unmet expectations. Elijah thought, man, this was the moment. I've been waiting. God has prepared me at Cherith, at Zarephath. This is the moment where it's going to happen. And it's not what happened. And now his life is in danger. And so you may have had expectations of your spouse, of your career, of your children. And for whatever reason, they, they haven't worked out like you thought. And, and because of that, you can be discouraged. You think, well, it just, it just didn't work out like I thought. I'm just, it, it's, 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 it's a failure. It's, it's not going to be what I thought. And you can be overwhelmed with discouragement. 
we're in the process of redoing our front yard right now. In fact, if you drive by, you'll see it's 95% brown. That's because I've sprayed herbicide on it and I've killed most of the grass. And one of the reasons we've done that, because we're, we're going to redo it and reseed it, um, but there's this one particular weed out there called burrweed. We've had burrweed all over this yard, uh, most of it. Burrweed is called the spring sticker. The reason is because it will germinate in October, November when the nights get cool, and it stays kind of below the surface. You really don't see it for a while until all of a sudden in the spring it just pops up, and it has these little prickly burrs, spiny burrs on them. And if you walk across one with your bare feet, you will not forget the burrweed. It will stick you. It's like a little cactus there in your, in, uh, in the, in your soil. And uh, our dog will get him, get him in his paws. That's, that, that's how irritating they are. And discouragement is like burrweed. Discouragement will slip up on you. It will germinate when you least expect it, and it will remain quiet for a while. And then all of a sudden, it will just spring up, and it will be all over you, and you cannot escape from it. And that, that's how discouragement is. It's real. It's not something to laugh at. We, we all, at some point, will struggle with it. And so Elijah now has the seed of discouragement in his life. He's fearful. He's depleted. We'll see soon. And now he's running for his life. So Elijah comes to Beersheba. Now, as far as we know, he, was, he would have been at the entrance of Jezreel when he got the, the news from uh, the messenger. And so he takes off about 100 miles south to Beersheba. Now you can read in the Old Testament, it will say from Dan to Beersheba. Dan's the northernmost point. Beersheba was the southernmost point in Judah. And even in in 1 Samuel 3.20, it says, all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. Those were the, the boundaries there, north and south of Israel. And so Beersheba means well of the oath. It was a place where Abraham had made an oath with Abimelech back in Genesis 21. And he, he promised Abimelech that he would treat he, his descendants well. They made an oath there. And it says, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree and called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God there in Beersheba. Well, sometime later, Abraham's son Isaac in Genesis, Genesis 26 built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord there. And, and his servants dug a well. Years later, Jacob was there in Genesis 46. Before uh, Jacob and family, the rest of the family went down to Egypt. The, Jacob was there in Beersheba and God spoke to him. He comforted Jacob. He said, don't be afraid. Go down to Egypt. Beersheba was a significant place in the lives of the patriarchs. And, and here is Elijah going to Beersheba, and we say we hear nothing about it. I, I wonder if Elijah walked right past that tamarisk tree. I wonder if it was still there, that place where Abraham called upon God, the everlasting God. And here comes Elijah walking right past it and has, doesn't pay it any attention. Uh, I, we don't know, but I, I wonder it's like being in, in Philadelphia uh, in the Northeast and, and not going to Independence Hall. It's, it, it was a key place in the founding of our nation, the Declaration of Independence, and our founding fathers, and it's, it's, it's just paying it no attention. It's just having no perspective of what would have happened there years before. And that's, that's very similar to Elijah here. He's in Beersheba as paying no attention, as far as we know, as to what went on there before. So he leaves his servant there, 
And he, he goes on further. It says a day's journey further. Now, leaving his servant there, I interpret that, that Elijah's not giving up his ministry. He's, at some point, he's planning to come back there. So he's, but he, he leaves his servant there, and he, he goes on. And you notice now, Elijah, before God said, go to Cherith, the brook Cherith, Elijah went. God said, go to Zarephath, Elijah went. God said, go show yourself to Ahab, Elijah went. Did God say go to Beersheba? Did God say go to, to Mount Horeb? God didn't say that. Elijah's, he's moving on his own here. He's, he's, he's got, he doesn't have a word from God. He's following his own plan instead of God's plan. So he finds a broom tree. He sat down and he asked God that he might die. It is enough, he says, O Lord. Now, O Lord, take away my life. I'm no better than my father's. God, I've tried to be a prophet for you. I've, I've tried to point people to you. I thought it would work. And, and now my life is in danger. It's, it's not, it didn't turn out how I thought. They didn't repent. There was no revival. It just unmet expectations. It, didn't, it just didn't work out. God, I, I just might as well die. Just, just take my life. Defeated. No, no purpose for living. Here's our third principle in discouragement. Discouragement can cause us to lose perspective, motivating us to do and say strange things. It can cause us to lose perspective on who we are as a child of God. And we, we say things that are, that, are, that are strange and things we would never say if we were in our right mind. He's, he, he's in Beersheba, not paying any attention to, oh, I mean, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were here. I mean, surely God, God met them there. Maybe God will meet me here. Maybe God will give me a fresh word here. We, we, he doesn't do that. Um, and then he leaves his servant. And he, he goes on from there. And now he's alone. One source wrote this. When we get discouraged, the first thing we tend to do is get alone. And that is probably the worst thing we can do. Elijah's alone now, and he's discouraged. And some even say he's depressed. Well, Elijah at this point has two needs, and these are two needs that you and I have as well. He has two needs. First, he needs rest. It says, and he lay down and slept. Notice that God didn't take his life. God, as we will see here, deals so tenderly and so gracious, uh, so graciously deals with Elijah. Uh, he lay down and slept, and, and notice an angel touched him. An angel woke him up. While Elijah was sleeping, an angel was preparing food. And an angel touched him, arise and eat. And, and he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. They're in the wilderness. They're in the place where Israel wandered for 40 years. And out of nowhere, just like God brought manna out of heaven and water out of a rock, here comes food and water appearing. And I wonder if Elijah was thinking back to the brook Cherith and think. Man, God fed me by a raven and a Zarephath. He fed me through a widow. And, and my goodness, now here's, here's more food appearing right here from an angel. Angels, it says in Hebrews 1.14, they're all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. So here's an angel, angel ministering to Elijah. He was there to, to help Elijah. So Elijah needed rest. So he ate and drank, and he lay down again. Elijah was depleted. Uh, he was exhausted. He had just traveled 100-plus miles. 
Before that, he had traveled 12 to 17 miles to Jezreel. Before that, he was engaged in spiritual warfare. He's depleted. He's, he's tired. So he, he, he lays down now again, and the angel of the Lord came a, a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. It's interesting. God didn't tell him to go uh, to Mount Hora, but he certainly knew where he was going. Elijah may have outrun Ahab and Jezebel, but he did not outrun God's provision. God was there with supernatural provision in the middle of the wilderness to meet his servant and to help him. The Lord was ministering to him. And so here's our fourth principle in discouragement. Discouragement can be a symptom of depletion. Discouragement can be a symptom of depletion. He was depleted physically, spiritually, emotionally. And if you are discouraged tonight, this could be one of the reasons. There, you could be depleted physically, emotionally, spiritually. You've been going through something, and you may just need, you may need several nights of sleep. You may need some good food. And you would be surprised at how well you will feel, how, what a lift you will feel if you'll just have a good night of rest. And um, it's amazing what difference that will make. Uh, some years ago, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a medical doctor, then became a, a pastor eventually in London. This is what he, he wrote a book called Spiritual Depression. It says, you cannot isolate the spiritual from the physical, for we are body, mind, and spirit. The greatest and the best Christians, when they are physically weak, are more prone to an attack of spiritual depression than any other time, and there are great illustrations of this in the Scriptures. And I would say this would be one of those illustrations. We have to take care of ourselves. And Elijah's depleted. But thankfully, God was gracious and merciful. Now, the last four points are the solution. How, how do we deal with discouragement? Those are some of the sources, but... What, what's the solution? So here comes uh, Elijah. He travels now to Mount Horeb, another about 180, 200 miles from Beersheba. And uh, Horeb is, is typically the name for Mount Sinai. You see it in uh, Deuteronomy especially. It says he came to, he came to a cave. And uh, the article really there is the, the cave. Now, that's, it's possible that was the one Moses was in years before. Of course, we don't know that for sure, but, but it's, it's possible. So he comes to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Now, you need to know, we need to ask the question, why did he go all the way down? Why is he going to travel about 300 miles from Mount Carmel all the way to Mount Sinai? Well, he needs a fresh encounter with God because this is where Moses, uh, God has spoken to Moses in Exodus 3. It's where Moses has spent 40 days, 40 nights, where God gave the Ten Commandments. It was, it was where Yahweh revealed himself. I am, he says, I am. He, that's how he had revealed himself. And so now Elijah had been in the battle against Baal versus Yahweh. So he's going back to the roots of Yahweh. And he's, Elijah's confused because he had told, uh, right here at the mountain, he had told uh, Moses, you're to be a kingdom of priests to me, Israel is. You're to be a holy nation. And, and that had not happened. That was certainly not the case in Elijah's day. They were, they were worshiping a false god. And so Elijah is going back to the source to say, what is going on? God, what is your plan? I, I don't understand. Yeah, you called me and I thought, man, they would turn back to you just like Moses led the people out of Egypt. And it just hasn't happened. And so he's going back to the source. He's going back to where God had revealed himself there to Moses. And that's where, remember, God causes glory to pass by there in Exodus 34. 
And so God has a question for Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? God is not looking for information. This is, he's, this is he's looking for an examination. This is an examination question. It's meant to probe Elijah, to, to, for Elijah to search his heart. Why are you here? As if, as if God didn't know why he was already here. But it's, it's, it's to make Elijah to search his heart and go, why am I here? What, what, what am I doing here? And Elijah, of course, I, I've been zealous. Uh, I've been jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. Jealous means be enthusiastically and exclusively devoted. God, I've been exclusively devoted to you. I'm not worshiping this false God like they are. And I, I just don't understand. They're not turning back to you. And, and my life is in danger. I'm the only one left, God. And uh, it, he, he's just thinking about it himself. And God, I, I don't know what to do. Here's our fifth point on discouragement. Discouragement does not block us from God's presence. Discouragement does not block us from God's presence. God's word came to Elijah even in the midst of his, of his discouragement and his self-pity. God still had a word for him. God tenderly and graciously appeared and spoke there to Elijah. Part of, part of your solution may be you just you need to spend some time with God. Maybe, maybe part of it is physical. You do need to be rejuvenated. You, do, you have been depleted. But the other side of it is you need to hear from God. William Carey, in a great time of discouragement in his life, wrote this. Well, I have God and his word is sure. I have God and his word is sure. God, God had not left him. God had not left Elijah. Jesus doesn't leave us. We, we, we have the Holy Spirit. He's still with us. Uh, this, our sixth principle on discouragement is found in the next few verses. So now God is going to speak to Elijah, but it's not in how he had done previously. There was wind, earthquake, fire, but it says God was not in any of these. You see, God had previously revealed himself through fire there at Mount Sinai. When he had descended there and fire came down, the whole mountain trembled greatly. Elijah himself had, had prayed and seen fire fall on Mount Carmel. That was how God had dealt and communicated in the past. But, but, but times had changed. God was getting to ready, ready to work in a new way. See, God doesn't always use the same methods. He, 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 he doesn't change, but sometimes his methods may change. And so he says there's a soft voice here. There's a, a low whisper. The term for whisper is used in Psalm 107, 29, where the people of God called out to God, and it says he made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. God made the waves of the sea like a little whisper. And the context there speaks of refreshment and deliverance in the midst of distress. So God here is offering Elijah refreshment and encouragement. And in the midst of his discouragement, God is, God is coming to him gently speaking, saying, Elijah, I have a fresh word for you. Here's our sixth principle on how we can deal with discouragement. Discouragement can be the entrance to a fresh encounter with God. It can be the entrance to a fresh encounter with God. Uh, Elijah was hearing from God in a new and different way. And if you are discouraged tonight, maybe God wants to minister to you in a new way. 
It may be that you need to buy a, a new study Bible. Maybe you've been reading the same one for years. I, I, I get a new one every 14 or 16 months or so. I'll get a new one. I'm reading through Dr. Tony Evans' study Bible right now. Just read through a different translation, reading through different commentary at the bottom. And it's just refreshing. Maybe some of you need a new devotional book. You need to, need to add some more music to your, your repertoire and just be encouraged by, 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 by Christian music. You see, God may, you may be stuck in a routine and God may want to take a different method to speak to your heart and encourage you. You may need to be serving when we're able to get back on campus and engage in serving. God refreshes you and encourages you through that. Others of you may, you may be in the fog of discouragement tonight, but, but, and you are all alone because you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you're trying to navigate through this and you've never had an encounter with him. And my friend, he has done everything necessary to draw you to himself. He has paid for your sin through his son, Jesus Christ. And all you have to do is receive him. To those who received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And if you will receive him, your discouragement may not change right away, but you will change and he will come and dwell inside of you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, now you're not alone. Now you're going through the dis- this discouragement with the power of Almighty God. Man, God asked Elijah a second time, what are you doing here, Elijah? And this time it was, again, designed to probe Elijah, but it was also to prepare him for the future. And so it's interesting, even after a fresh encounter with God, Elijah still was stuck in the same routine, still self-focused, Self-pity, self-righteousness, unable to see past his discouragement. I'm the only one left, God. But I want you to see what, what, what God said. Verse 15, and the Lord said to him, he gives him, he's got marching orders now. And he gives, tells him three things to do. First, God wanted Elijah to go to the wilderness of Damascus and anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Second, Elijah would anoint Jehu king over uh, Israel. Jehu would be the uh, successor to Ahab. Both of these show that God is in control of the world scene. God is in control of these countries. He's the one determining who's going to be the king. And then third, Elijah would anoint Elisha to be his successor. Actually, the only person that Elijah ended up anointing was Elisha. Uh, the other two were anointed later in Elisha's ministry. You have to go to Second Kings to find that. But God was teaching Elijah that, Elijah, from now on, your ministry is going to look different. From now on, you're not going to be up front. I'm, from now on, I'm going to begin, I'm going to put you back here, and I'm going to begin to put some other people up here. And, and I'm, going to put, I'm going to give you a close personal friend that you can invest in. And, and you're not going to be doing ministry alone from now on. Um, so what Elijah needed to know was that this battle against Baal was going to be, it's going to outlast him. It was going to go way past his lifetime. And then God's going to use these political leaders and he's going to use Elisha to end the Baal worship in Israel and to judge Israel. You see, Elijah was just thinking, man, this all rests on me. I've got to do this. I've got to cause this nation to turn back to God. And God was telling him, it's not just about you, Elijah. I can use these other people just as I can use you. And I will, I, I will judge this nation, but it won't be just through you. And so things were changing. Things are going to look different now for Elijah's ministry. 
And by the way, God says, I'm going to save 7,000 people. You're not the only one, Elijah. There's, there's other people who love me too. They've not, they've, they've not bowed to worship Baal. Our seventh point tonight on discouragement. Discouragement does not mean that God is done with us. Discouragement does not mean that God is done with us. Just because you're discouraged does not mean God is done with you. He still has plans. He still had plans for Elijah. Discouragement does not have the final say on your life. It, it may be just something that you're passing through. And by the way, you should be passing through it. It shouldn't be something that you just stay in for long seasons of time. So it, there's, there's ways to get help. We're certainly here to try to help minister to you. You may need help medically, but hopefully it's something that you're moving through because there is another side. And, and Elijah was, was moving through it. So as we're going to see in just a moment, he's, he's back in the game. And he's, he's, I'm sure he's still struggling, but now he's back doing ministry. And so he departed there from Mount Sinai, and he found Elisha. So he goes to Elisha, and he extends a call to Elisha to join him in ministry. Now, Elisha uh, came from, a, apparently had a, a wealthy um, family and a home, had a good job, but uh, he left all of that now to join Elijah, to minister to him. It says in Second uh, Kings 2 that Elisha refused to leave Elijah's side. Isn't that amazing? So the last part of Elijah's ministry now is going to be spent investing in Elisha, preparing his successor to come after him and to go. He's going to eventually ask for a double portion of his spirit and end up doing twice as many miracles as Elijah did. This one source said this, God gave Elijah more than a successor. He gave him a close personal friend. You see, Elijah needed companionship. He needed, he needed a friend. He needed someone to invest in. And in 2 Kings 2.12, Elisha called Elijah father. That's a type of relationship that developed between these two men. And I'm sure that Elisha's enthusiasm, his questions, his excitement about ministry probably rejuvenated Elijah. The thought, you know what? This is exciting. I'm, I'm going I'm to finish strong. I'm going to keep going until God is done with me. So he, here is the fourth quarter of his ministry now, investing in someone else. Here's our last point. Discouragement can be uprooted by investing in someone else. Discouragement can be uprooted by investing in someone else. As far as we know, Elijah never went back to Mount Sinai. Now, did he ever struggle with discouragement again? We're, we're not told. Um, he never, as far as we know, he never asked God to take his life again. Uh, we're not told that. But we do know that he continued ministry and he continued investing in Elisha. Who are you investing in tonight? Are you investing in your kids that are, that are in your home or your grandchildren? Are you investing in someone else in the community, someone at your work, someone here at church? Is, are there other people that you're investing in spiritually? I mean, mentoring. It may not be something formal, but it's someone that you're praying for, someone that you're trying to encourage, someone that you're trying to help grow and become more like Christ. Uh, it, that can be a way to uproot discouragement from our life because it gets our focus off of us onto someone else. And we can, we can pray for them. We can try to encourage them. We can try to help them through their life situation. There's a man named Ralph Moore who uh, is in his 70s now. He's been in ministry for years. He uh, started a church years ago in California and eventually 
Stayed there about 12 years and moved to Hawaii. Started a church called Hope Chapel in Hawaii. Uh, Ralph has given his life to discipleship and church planting. So this is what Ralph does. When he's at, when, when he's at church, he, he will get two or three guys and he just disciples them. And if they're going through a book of the Bible, if they're going through a leadership book, whatever it is, he asks these guys three questions. What did God say to you? What are you going to do about it? And how can I help? Those are, those are the three questions. Hey, what, what did God say to you? Or what are you going to do about it? In other words, is there some change you need to make? What are you going to do about it? And then third, how can I help? Now, Ralph has invested his life into other men. His churches have started over 2,300 churches. 2,300 churches. And we, the best they can estimate, about 220,000 people have been impacted by those churches. All because, obviously, it's the Holy Spirit and God's work, but a man investing in someone else and just asking simple questions based on the Word of God or some book that they read. What could God do in your life if you, in spite of your discouragement, just went beside someone else and said, man, let's read something together and let's just ask some simple questions. Then you don't have to have a degree to do that in theology, but hey, let's just, what's God teaching you? What are you going to do about it and how can I help? Is there any way I could help you grow spiritually? See, if you and I are dealing with discouragement right now, it could be because we're not investing in anyone else. So we're consumed with our problems, our struggles. Well, thankfully, Michael Phelps is in a much different place today than he was back in 2012. He got some help. He went to a rehab facility. While he was there in Arizona, Ray Lewis, the retired NFL player, sent him a book, Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren. Michael got that book and and began looking at it. And uh, he began realizing that, you know, there's a purpose for my life on earth. And uh, it's not just about me. In fact, that's what the first, you remember the first line in the first chapter is not about you. And so he began realizing that. He began going around the facility and would would share the book with, hey, let me read some of this to you. And people began calling him Preacher Mike. Well, he left there and finished the Olympics 2016, retired, finished on a high note. Michael has a family now. Michael is spending time with his children, his wife. And you know what else? Michael started a foundation and Michael became a mentor. Michael has been a mentor to Tiger Woods, Jordan Spieth, Katie Ledecky, another Olympic swimmer. You see, Michael realized life just wasn't about him. It was about other people. And now he's spending his life sharing his struggles, his, his defeats, but also trying to help somebody else. Are you discouraged tonight? I want to pray for you if you're discouraged, but I also want to encourage you to invest your life in someone else. And maybe you're already doing that and you're still discouraged. There may be another source. Maybe you're depleted physically. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know, but I do know that God is there to help you. I do know that you're not alone. And so if you would, if you're discouraged tonight, I want you to just bow your head with me. And I want to pray for you because I believe God can help you. I believe he can give you the strength to move through this valley of discouragement. Father, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for men like Elijah, men of God, a man of God who loved you 
yet went through a valley in his life. Father, I pray for my friends, my brothers and sisters tonight, some who I believe with, I believe they love Jesus Christ, but they are struggling with discouragement. Maybe it's, it's over fear and anxiety, whatever the source, God, you know the source, but I pray you would lift them through it, lift them above the storm, Help them, Father, lift their heads to you and and cause their eyes to look upon you, the maker of heaven and earth. Help them gain perspective, Lord, that you are Lord of all. You're Lord over this storm in their life. Minister to their hearts tonight, I pray, Father. Give them the peace of Jesus Christ and give them victory. For your word says we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Thank you for that. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who came to this earth and has carried our, the man of sorrows, has carried our griefs. Sometimes we carry things, Lord, we're not supposed to. So we give them to you tonight. And we pray you give us your peace. Thank you for your word. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much for your time tonight, for joining us. Hey, we'll be back here Sunday. Pastor continues his message on Job. You'll want to be here for that. It'll be a great message of encouragement. So I hope you have a great rest of the week. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.